How are we doing this morning, Oak Ridge? <laughs> One person is doing awesome. I think I heard a few cows out there. I'm not quite sure. Um, but hey, I am glad that you are here this morning and that you are with us. I want you to do me a favor, if you would. Find somebody next to you. Just turn to them and real quick say, God wants to speak into your life today. Now, whoever said it first, the other person turned to him and say, just because you talk first, God still wants to speak into your life today. <laughs> I believe that God has something for us. There are, are messages that sometimes pastors will preach and somebody will come up and they will say, hey, that was, that was for me. Did you write that all about me? How, how do you know those things? Or, or I feel like you stole things about my life. And I want to guarantee you, if that's you this morning, I just believe God wants to speak to some people. And I think there might be more than one person who feels that way coming out of the message today. I can't guarantee it, but that's just the sense that I have in my spirit. And so if you feel that way this morning, I didn't do it exactly for you. It's just what God's word was, and I believe that he desires to speak this morning. We've been uh, a couple weeks, this is our second week in the series on Gideon, and again, we're kind of using a, uh, as a springboard a devotional by Priscilla Shire. Last week, we talked about Gideon's life and how at the time of Gideon, God's people, the nation of Israel, had come into the promised land. For 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt. God raised up a deliverer named Moses who brought them out of Egypt, and yet for four or 40 years, they spent wandering the wilderness because of their sin and disobedience, and yet God raised up a leader in Joshua who brought them into the promised land. But at the time of Gideon, they're living in the promised land, but they're not living up to all that God has asked them to do. They have not yet completely cleared the land and taken control of all of the land. And so they find themselves regularly being ravaged by the Midianites, giving into moral compromise and reflecting the rampant sin of the culture around them, worshiping gods of the foreign nations. They were giving God only partial obedience, which is really the same as disobedience. And they were experiencing the natural consequences of that choice. If you have a Bible with you this morning, it might be a paper Bible it might be a digital Bible, but I hope that you have the Word of God. Maybe you can borrow one from the chair in front of you, but if you would get a Bible out, and if you would lift it up nice and high this morning and just say, I got my Bible, PJ. I am so glad you do. I'm following mild distractions and trying to see where all I'm going. You ever found yourself in a place where you wondered if what you were doing really mattered. If you wondered about your life and you wondered about the position you were in and the place where you were at and the things that you were doing and you thought to yourself, does it really matter? I've always enjoyed the story, The Star Thrower by Lauren Isley. It goes a little something like this. Once upon a time, there was an old man who used to go to the ocean every morning for exercise. And One day, he was walking along a beach that was littered with thousands of starfish that had been washed ashore by high tide. 
And as he walked, he came across a young boy who was throwing starfish back into the ocean one by one. Puzzled, the man looked at the boy, asked him what he was doing. And the boy paused and looked up and he said, I'm throwing starfish into the ocean. The tide has washed them up onto the beach and they can't return to the sea by themselves. When the sun gets high, they're going to die unless I throw them back into the water. The old man replied, don't you realize that there are miles of beach and there must be tens of thousands of starfish? I'm afraid you really won't be able to make much of a difference. The boy kind of listened politely. He bent down and he picked up another starfish and he tossed it back into the surf. And he said, I made a difference for that one. Life sometimes feels tedious and monotonous. I think we can wonder if what we're doing, if the life we're living, if where we are, if it really matters or if it really makes a difference for anyone. Maybe you've been married for a while and the shiny luster that marriage had when you first got married is kind of worn off and maybe kids are at home and they're running rampant or maybe kids left a long time ago and, and marriage has kind of grown stale and you just kind of wonder like, is there purpose? Does it, does it matter? At this point, it just kind of feels like we're coexisting together, trying to make it through life. Maybe you've done all you can to discipline or to train your children or to set an example for them, but you watch their lives and they seem to be missing the mark of the expectation that you set for them. Maybe you feel like you're doing your best in life to live a godly life, avoiding certain behaviors and certain attitudes, but you look at the world around you and you think, they've got it better than me. I mean, I'm trying to follow godly principles in my life, but these people who cheat at work, they seem to constantly get ahead, and why am I stuck here? Or, or I feel like I am constantly stressed out and anxious, and, and I'm trying to do the godly thing, and there's other people, and they're not giving into that, but I see they seem to be less stressed. They're giving into the things, the attitudes, and the behaviors of the world, and I just don't know if it's worth it anymore. Maybe you go to work every day and you feel underappreciated. You wonder, why do I keep going back every day? Am I doing anything besides just making money for my boss? Maybe you've retired from work and you wonder, what significance does my life have now that I've transitioned into this phase of life? Before his story in Judges chapter 6, Gideon is a relatively unassuming man. He had no real status among the tribes of Israel, and he didn't really have any status in his own family. Like other Israelite men, he's hiding in the hill country, trying to make the best of his situation and trying to save what little grain he could from the Midianites to help feed his family. He clearly wondered why God allowed him to be in his situation. If there was any end in sight, and if any of it really mattered anyway. So let's pick up Gideon's story in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. And we'll read it from the screen this morning. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, Gideon replied. If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all of the, the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? 
But now the Lord has abandoned us, given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. We open this story, and Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, in case you're wondering, in case that doesn't strike you, that's not where you thresh and prepare wheat for your family. But Gideon, like so many other Israelites at this time, is hiding because as we've already read in Judges chapter 6, anytime they plant, anytime they prepare food, anytime they try to raise livestock, the Midianites find it and they destroy it. And so Gideon has taken what little bit of wheat he has, what little scraps he has, and he's in a wine press trying to prepare it so that he can have some food for his family to eat. And it says that the Lord comes to Gideon and sits down under an oak tree next to where Gideon is working. He knows exactly where Gideon is and what he's up to. And from what's written in the text, God doesn't speak condemnation to Gideon or pass any judgment on him. He declares that the Lord is with Gideon and refers to him as a mighty warrior. And Gideon wonders, like we might, if God is with us, then why have the Israelites, why are my family going through the kinds of things that we're going through? Why are we experiencing the difficulty we're in? God, you come here and you sit down, then why, if you're near to me, are we in this situation? The Lord tells Gideon to save Israel from Midian. And when Gideon questions his own credentials, the Lord simply tells him, God will be with you, and you will be successful in defeating your enemy. In your life this morning, I believe that for many, and probably all of you, God wants to speak something directly into your life. Because he has uniquely positioned you where you are. And he has something that he wants to say to your life this morning as we look at Gideon and as we look at the calling that God has on Gideon's life. I think that God is, wants to whisper something into your life about who you are and about where you are and about what you are experiencing at this moment in your life. And so I just want to take apart Gideon's story a little bit and look at what I think God might want to say to some of us. And the first thing that I think God wants to say is that he knows where you are. God knows where you are. Gideon is hiding in fear from his enemies. He's not living out the command that came in Deuteronomy. Remember, after the, the people were in, in slavery in Egypt and Moses led them out and they're wandering in the wilderness and God gives them the law, a part of that law is to say, when I bring you into the promised land, you are to completely clear the enemy from the promised land. I am using you as my instrument of judgment on all of the nations that live in Canaan and you are to completely destroy them. And if you do not, they will be a snare to you. They will be a burden to you. And once you've cleared the land for your tribe, if you have a single tribe and, and you've cleared the land that is allotted to your tribe, God calls every Israelite male to then fight for the other tribes until the entire land of Canaan is cleared. Gideon in Judges chapter 6 lives in a Canaan that has not been cleared. And he's not out fighting a war. He's hiding 
in a wine press. He's playing a part in the sin that leads directly to the situation he's facing. He's part of the problem. God told every Israelite male to clear the land, to fight against the sin, otherwise it would affect them. And it's affecting Gideon and his family. But he's a part of the problem. He's hiding in a wine press. And God comes and sits down next to him. Wherever you are in life, whatever situation you might be in, whatever you are facing, God knows where you are. He knows where you are physically. He knows the physical location that you're in. He knows where you are mentally. He knows what's going on in your mind. He knows where you are in your heart. He knows what's going on in your emotions. He knows about your spirit and what you are kind of wondering about and, and, and what you are dealing with and what you are doubting. And God knows exactly where you are. And even if you feel like the world is crushing in around on you, and even if you yourself have gone into retreat mode, isolating yourself or hiding or just trying to exist and survive, God knows where you are. And man, I feel like some of us have been there, especially in the past couple of years. We have faced so much as people. The, the, the virus, politics, racial and social tension, health issues, financial tensions and insecurity. And sometimes it just feels like it's best to withdraw. It's best to just hide and try to survive. And here's the thing that I think God wants you to hear loud and clear this morning. He knows where you are. He knows what situations you're facing. He knows what worries you have. He knows what doubts you have. And he's come to sit down next to you and to speak into your life this morning. I think the second thing that we notice in Gideon's story is that his calling, God's calling on Gideon's life is an invitation to join the Lord more than it is condemnation for where he currently is. God's calling is an invitation to join him more than condemnation for where you currently are. When God comes to Gideon, he has every right to come in judgment or anger. Gideon is not supposed to be hiding in a wine press, just trying to barely scrape by and make it and to survive. Every Israelite male is to be fighting a war against the nations of Canaan until the land is clean. But when God sits down next to Gideon, he reminds Gideon of his presence. And he invites Gideon to join him by referring to Gideon as a mighty warrior. I believe that God's calling for your life doesn't start with judgment or condemnation for where you currently are. If we can be honest, we would probably have to say that some of you aren't where you should be in life. Some of our attitudes and behaviors and, and our words and our apathy, if we were to accurately label them, they're sin. They're a rejection of what God desires for our life. He has called us to do something at some point in our life and said, I want to use you. I want to do something with your life. And yet the place where we are is an active rejection of what God has for us. And yet even though God is aware of that, 
His message to you starts with an invitation to join him. And some of you, I think, absolutely need to hear this. God's number one concern for your life is not to condemn you for where you are. It's to invite you to join him where he is. Where you are in life is not nearly important as where God is and where he wants to take you. Some of us live in constant fear of God. Because we feel like if God ever saw me where I am, if he ever came down and sat next to me where I am, then he's probably likely to strike me dead on sight. But the identity that God sees in you is your potential with him. Not your past or even your current failure. When God sits down next to Gideon, he calls him a mighty warrior. And at that point, God gives him that name. Gideon is hiding in a wine press, living in fear, isolating himself, making excuses, and not living in obedience to God's command. And I believe for some of you, God wants to sit down next to you this morning. And he wants to whisper something in your ear. An invitation to say, I see you differently than you see yourself. I know where you are. I can come right to where you are. I know that what I've called you to do is not what you're doing. I know that where I've placed you and what I've asked for your life to look like is not where your life is. But I want you to know, I'm inviting you to me. And I can do something different with your life. The identity that I see you with is not just your failure. But the identity that I see you with is who you could be if you will allow your life to be connected with me. I desire to give you a new identity. Not an identity based on your sin, not an identity based on your failure or your shortcoming, not an identity based on your fears or your worries or your anxieties or your doubts. But I'm a God who sees you, and I'm with you, and I'm inviting you to see who you could be if you would trust me, I have a part for you to play in fulfilling your role in my kingdom. I think God wants to speak to some of us this morning to remind us that you don't need to wait to start on God's calling. When the Lord calls Gideon to save Israel from Midian, God is ready for Gideon to get going immediately. He tells him, go in the strength that you have. God does not come and sit down next to, to Gideon, hiding in a wine press and say, hey, mighty warrior, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sign up for the army, and I need you to go to basic training camp for a while, and then you're going to go uh, somewhere else, and then you've got to get special ops training, and I'm going to have you work for a few years, right? He doesn't say, hey, Gideon, here's what I need you to do. I need you to quit everything that you're doing now, and I need you to go get a seminary degree and spend four years in undergrad and then spend a while so that you have all of the, the knowledge that you can know about God. He doesn't doesn't even say, hey, Gideon, I want you to go say goodbye to your family. I want you to get your affairs in order. I want you to prepare for things. He says, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. Go in the strength that you already have. I think so many times in our lives, we put God off. Either we think that we're not equipped for what he's asking us, or we plan to get to it later. 
God has already come to us in our life, much like the Israelites. God had already come. And he'd already said, this is what I want for you to do. When you get to the promised land, I want you to clear the promised land. I want to give you rest. I want you to have a place where you can worship me. I want you to be in this place where we are completely combined and there is none of the distraction there. I want you and I to be together in this place. And you're going to have to work first to get there. And yet when they get there, they're not, they don't live in that. They're not doing those things. But they knew it. Gideon knew it. He knew what God would have him do. And I think for many of us, we know already where we're at and what God would have for us. He's spoken something into our life. We've felt his spirit impress upon our hearts, but, but it's easy to put God off and it's easy to say, you know what, God, right now just isn't a good time. Right now, I've got all of these things to take care of. What do you mean you want me to do that? What do you mean you want me to focus on that? What do you mean you have something for me to do? God, don't you understand my list of problems? Or we think, God, I know what you want me to do. I see this, this thing and there's this idea of some stuff that maybe I feel like you, you desire for my life to be about, but, but I'm not really, I'm not qualified for those things, God. God doesn't tell Gideon that he needs to do a bunch of prep work. He tells him to get going in the strength that he has. Move now. Do whatever you can now. Gideon, whatever strength, whatever capacity, however smart, however much Bible knowledge you have, however healthy you are, and whatever relationships look like for you, quit waiting for your situation to somehow improve before you serve the Lord. Quit waiting before you serve the Lord. Serve Him right now with what you already have. You don't need to wait. Go in the strength you have. And God's power and presence will enable you to accomplish His calling. When God calls Gideon to save the Israelites from the hand of the Midianites, Gideon looks at his own weakness. He's from the weakest clan and a small half-tribe, and he's the least important person in his family. I feel like Gideon is almost trying to pass the buck, right? God, me? Can't you find somebody else? Can't you find somebody better than me to accomplish what you have? I'm here hiding in a wine press. Why do you want me? Somebody else is better equipped, God, for what you have. Don't we feel that way sometimes? God, I've tried so hard to make this marriage work. You've called me to be a spouse, but things are so difficult right now. Wouldn't my spouse be better off with somebody else? God, I, I don't know, you've called me to be a parent or to be a grandparent and to have influence on the next generation, but God, I don't know that I can do it. It's such a struggle. I don't, even, I don't even know much about the Bible. How am I supposed to train my children or my grandchildren? How am I supposed to teach them and help them to grow and to build character, God? Can't, can't you give them somebody else? Can't it be the, the pastors or their school or somebody else, God, right? And we're going to be there next week as a little teaser. I hope you come back. God, I, I know that maybe I can make, the, that there's a difference that my community needs. 
I know that there's roles in my church that are going unfulfilled. Can't you find somebody else, God? Can't you find somebody else to be an influencer? God, don't you know how small I am, how weak and insignificant? And God responds by telling Gideon that the Lord will be with him and that he will have success in defeating his enemies. I know not everybody likes math, but I like math. So I'm going to ask the question, do I have any math fans out there that are mathematic fans or am I completely alone? I've got like five. All right, so for five of you, this is going to be great. For the rest of you, just hang on, we'll come back around. But this is kind of how I see it working in God's economy. Our obedience, when combined with God's presence, is multiplied by God's power for kingdom victory. And this is what God is telling Gideon. He's saying, Gideon, I see where you are. I know where you are. And I am right here, Gideon. I am with you. And if you will obey, if you will connect your life with me and the calling that I have, which is really the calling that you should have known about before I came here, it's nothing new, Gideon. It's just the place that you're in. I've already brought you and placed you in this role. I just want you to be faithful to what I've already placed you in. I'm here, Gideon. I'm with you. If you will obey, then that obedience in my presence is going to get multiplied by my you, Gideon, will be a mighty warrior, and you will defeat the Midianites who are attacking you. What God is looking for you in your life is obedience. He wants you to be willing to play your part in his kingdom work. And the bottom line truth is, he could accomplish his work without you. But God created human beings, male and female, in his image. Because from the very beginning of creation, he desired that he and his image bearers would partner together to steward his good creation. God has always desired that his people would obey and partner together with him. And when we obey what God wants for us, our obedience combines with his presence and is multiplied by his power. And that always spells kingdom victory for the Lord. Now, I've got to add a little footnote right here. Kingdom victory doesn't always mean what you want, how you want, or when you want it. Sometimes, kingdom victory looks like your failure. Case in point is Jesus Christ himself, who hung on a cross, whose life was given, whose blood was poured out, who prayed on the night before he was crucified, Lord, if there is any way for this cup to pass, let this cup pass from me. And yet, not my will, but yours be done. God's presence and Christ's obedience multiplied by the power of God that the atoning work for every sin of every man, woman, and child in history was paid for. It may not have looked like how he wanted it, but the kingdom, oh yeah, that's a kingdom victory if ever there was one. God's power and God's presence will enable you to accomplish what he is calling you to do, even if it doesn't always look the way you want it to. I believe in your life this morning, God has a very unique calling. 
something that is very specific to you, to who you are. You may be called to be a parent or a grandparent. You might be an employee in the workplace. You might be a part of Christ's body here in the local church. You might have influence in your community, or you might be a combination of several of those things. But the Lord has deliberately placed you in a unique position to be his representative and to build his kingdom right where you are. His calling on your life is unique to you. Your calling isn't going to look like my calling. It's not going to look like the calling of the person sitting next to you. You probably won't look like Gideon, and it probably won't look like Moses. But no matter what God's plan in your life looks like, his hand is on you to wage war against the enemy in your sphere of influence. Don't be lulled into downplaying God's calling in your life as ordinary or unimportant. There is no one else that God has to fulfill the unique position that he has you in. You are where he intends for you to be, and he wants to use your life for the unique calling that he has placed on you. And your calling may not initially seem grandiose or big, and if you try to compare your calling next to somebody else, you will be tempted by the enemy to think, what I'm called to is not as important as to what somebody else does. Don't listen for a second. It is a lie of Satan. You are placed where God wants you, and he wants to use you for his kingdom. If you're confused about what my calling might be, what is it that God wants for me, simply ask yourself, where has he already placed me? What has he already commanded long ago and uniquely positioned me for in his kingdom that I could begin to live out today? And know that his power is with you. That he sees where you are. And that he is calling you to partner with him. He will give you the strength needed to complete his work. Your role is a deliberate strategy initiated by God. And when you partner with him, you build his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. What would happen if all of God's people embraced their unique calling and acted on it in the strength of the Lord? God knows where you are. And this morning, I believe he wants to give you a reminder of his calling. It's not condemnation for where you are or for what you might not be living out currently. It's an invitation to see who you could be if you surrender your life to him, his will, and his purposes. And you don't need to wait to start living out God's calling. You don't need to get any special preparation or take any special classes. You simply need to go in the strength you already have, being obedient to what God has asked you to do, knowing that his presence is with you and his power will enable you to accomplish what he desires for you as you play your unique part in his kingdom. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, 
We sang this morning a song that said, I'm no longer a slave to fear. And I believe that there is power in speaking words out loud over our life and in singing truth over our life. And some of us have been in a place of fear. Some of us have been slaves to fear. And yet, God, I think that this morning, for for many of us, you are calling us to see ourselves as something different. To see that our God sees right where we are and he sits down next to us and he says, I have so much more for your life than the sin that you're living in, the place that you're at, the weakness and the fear and the doubt and the anxiety. I have more for you. Step into the roles that I've placed you in. Live out the calling I have given you. Be who I have made you to be. And my presence is with you. My power is with you. I can part the waters before you as I have for the Israelites. You can walk right through. God, may we see ourselves as your treasured possession that you would not allow anything to separate us from you, that God became a human being, that Jesus Christ walked this earth to give his life as a perfect sacrifice to say, I want you in anything that separates you from, from God and his purposes, I'll deal with it. I'll take that to the cross. It can be crucified with me so that you no longer have to live in that anymore. But your life can be a life devoted wholly to me. God, I pray that we would have the courage to listen to your calling in our lives, to see the places where you have uniquely positioned us for an impact in your kingdom. And God, that we would resist the enemy's temptation to continue in fear, to continue hiding, to continue isolating ourselves from all that you have for us, but that we would boldly step out and say, God has called me to it. He is with me and his power will enable me to do what he desires for me for the kingdom's sake. Help us to be children of God, sons and daughters, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the resurrection of our King, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Help us not to be slaves to fear, but to accept your unique calling in our lives and to act on obedience. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.